Welcome to Luther's world of cryptids, ghosts, and the unexplained. If you're into strange things that fly above us in the skies, or creepy things that go bump in the night, then you have come to the right place. Much like cryptid creatures or folklore tales, they have a home here, and so do you in Luther's world. Welcome, welcome, welcome to chapter number four. Well, let's jump right on in to I Never Thought It Would Happen to Me, real stories told by the people who experienced the encounters. First, we're going to hear from Randy Nicholson. He's going to tell us about a house that he moved into, a haunted What's up, everybody? This is Randy Nicholson, a.k.a. The Agonist, up here at the Nightmare Factory, Atlanta, Georgia. I'm here with Luther, Luther's World. Uh, we're telling some ghost stories tonight. Um, I have a pretty good one. Um, I used to live in this really old house in my hometown, Greensboro, Georgia. Um, it's a really old house. It was built in the 20s. Um, we got it at a very cheap price. Um, just a massive uh, two-story house. Um, it was very, uh, very cold. You know, when I, I remember when I first walked in the house, it was, you know, I liked it and everything. It was nice, but I just kind of felt something was kind of off a little bit. Um, and I kind of noticed some things here and there, like the light would be cut off immediately after I left the room and stuff like that happens. We have kids, you know, so I kind of just wrote that kind of stuff off. Um, you know, cabinets open, just weird stuff, you know, stuff out of place. But again, there's a lot of people in the house, so I never thought anything of it. Um, one time my father called. He says, hey, uh, the plumbing at our house, uh, there's some pipes uh, busted. We had to have some work done. Can we come stay with you guys in the house? I said, yes, there's plenty of room, sure. Uh, you know, they're going to be there for about a week. Now, mind you, my father isn't scared of anything. He doesn't believe in ghosts. He is uh, not a religious man. He's not, he just doesn't believe in the afterlife. He's one of these people who's like, if I can't see it, it doesn't exist, right? Um, so anyway, they come over. Um, we set them up in the living room. Um, at the time, in the living room, I had a computer desk. And on this computer desk, uh, there was one light on. It was a little blue LED light, uh, I think for the computer itself. Um, it did not blink, it was a solid light. Um, the next day I come home from work. Uh, they had spent one night. I come in. Uh, my dad's just sitting up on the couch, just like this dull look on his face. He's like, man, he goes, there's something in this house. I said, what do you mean? He goes, there's something in this house. And uh, he said, last night, he was laying on the couch. Um, and he couldn't sleep. And he noticed that the computer light was blinking off and on. Just blinking off and on. And then I said, well, that's kind of funny because that light doesn't blink. He said, well, that's what I thought. But it was blinking. And I said, well, how do you explain that? He goes, well, I just didn't think anything of it at first. He said, then I looked up in the corner 
and in this old house, these ceilings are like 10 foot high. They're like really high ceilings. Um, according to my father, there was this black cloud or like this black uh, mist. Uh, he said he couldn't see all the way into the corner. He can see in that corner, that one, that one. But for whatever reason, in this corner of this room, it was just this black, like dark haze. And he said he sat there and watched it all night. And the bottom of it was moving in front of that light, causing it to blink. Like I said, that light doesn't blink. So something was moving in front of that thing all night long. Scared the hell out of my father. He refused to stay there. They went and got a hotel the next night. Uh, he never came back to that house after that. Um, and then shortly after that, I was there by myself. Um, I had moved my master bedroom upstairs. Um, I was up there by myself. No one was home. I was watching the game. Um, all of a sudden, the hallway light flicked on. I said, well, you know, old wiring. You know, I'm always writing stuff off. Old wiring. So I go, cut the light switch off. Shut the door again. No problem. I look up under the door. The light clicks off. I said, all right, somebody's downstairs messing with me. There was another switch at the bottom of the stairs. You could cut the light on upstairs from downstairs. So I figured maybe somebody had come in and was messing with me. Um, I go down there and um, I took a piece of duct tape and put it over the light switch. Walked back upstairs. Before I could even get to the top of the stairs, I swear to you on everything, that light clicked back on. I got my stuff, got out of that house, got in my truck, and went and stayed with my friend. And uh, not too long after that, I moved out of the house, and I haven't been back. And then the lady that moved into the house after that has had some experiences too, uh, as well. So, Well, sometimes I guess we know why those big old houses come cheap, because they also come with a little extra baggage. Now we're going to go across overseas to the UK. We're going to hear from Alex Clark as he tells us a little story about what happened at the Peacock Hub. Hello, Dr. Luther. Today I bring you a story from Nottingham, England. Yes, the home of Robin Hood. Uh, I bring it from the small village of Huthwaite. Uh, a pretty unremarkable, very working class, uh, very well, slightly unpleasant village. It's not the greatest place in the world. But I used to work there um, at a local pub. Now, we didn't used to drink in this pub. You don't drink uh, where you work. We uh, we tend not to do that. But we do like drinking in pubs. So, we used to drink at a different pub called the Peacock. Now, the Peacock was quite special. Supposedly, the Peacock sits on the intersection of three ley lines. Ley lines are these lines through the country, through the world, I believe, uh, that supposedly sort of bring in magical, mystical, or even spiritual energy. And most people believe the strange things that happen in the Peacock were because of these ley lines. Now, one night we were in there. I wasn't drinking, I will say that. Uh, just sat drinking a Coke. And uh, pub's pretty full, probably 25, 30 people in there. And we were sat near the back because it was so full. Uh, so we could see at the bottom was the bar. Now, all of a sudden, the pub just stops. Everybody goes silent. And I sort of look up from my drink 
and I can see everybody's looking to the side of me. So I look to the side and this shape, this dark black sort of shadow shape uh, that was humanoid in nature. You could sort of tell it had the, the outline of a human, but it looked sort of like it was phasing in and out and was sort of misty. But it, it moved with purpose. It walked, it sort of strided through the centre of the room, between all the tables, to the bar. It then walked around the bar, round the back of the bar, past the barmaids and the landlord. And at the back of the bar, there was an open doorway into the kitchen. It walked into the kitchen and then passed out of the kitchen door, like through the door. So quite why it didn't pass through the bar as well, I don't know. It went around that. And I could see that everybody else had seen it. Now, this is England and we're known for being quite repressed. So between tables, nobody spoke about it. Everybody just sort of looked at each other and you could tell everybody was thinking, did you just see that? Everybody then starts to whisper with people on their own table and then people start to drink up, chug the drink, drop it and walk out. This he actually included four local uh, Hells Angels members uh, that were working security in the town at that time. Even they uh, had had enough of the pub at that point and walked straight out. We stayed and we were chatting about it and we got chatting to the barmaids and to the landlord. Uh, they'd had a lot of different experiences and they were telling us that, yeah, they'd seen shadows and all sorts of strange things. And most of it seemed to come from the cellar. Now, this pub uh, started to get a bit of a reputation because lots of different paranormal investigation groups had been in, uh, some quite famous ones. And multiple mediums had said that down in the cellar, there was a false wall that the uh, landlord wanted to rip out. And it was recommended that they do not rip that wall out. One medium specifically said whatever was behind that wall was evil uh, and shouldn't be touched. So <laughs> it was a very, very strange night. One of the weirdest things I've ever seen. But 25, 30 other people saw it with me. This shadowy shape walk through and, and it felt horrible. Whatever it was did not give off a, a good aura, a good feeling whatsoever. I don't claim to be able to feel anything mystical but whatever that was did not feel good whatsoever. But I can say that was not the only strange experience we had in the Peacock. Uh, there was quite a few more and many people have had them in that pub. Repressed or freaked out? The Peacock pub sounds like a really cool place to go have a pint. Um, you never know, I might show my face in there someday. The shadow that went around the bar and not through it, now that's super interesting to me. Um, I don't know why, it just lets me think that it's definitely been there or worked there or owned it at one point in time. Thank you to Alex. You can check out, Alex has a show. Uh, it's called The Steel Symphony. And you can check that out on Hard Rock Hell Radio.com. Uh, and now it's time to read your letters. Real experiences sent in from you, the viewers. We like to call this the paper trail. Hey, today is time for the paper trail once again. Today's comes from Jason, and Jason is a paranormal investigator, or was a paranormal investigator. He wrote me a really good story, so here we go. 
Investigation location, Jeffersonville, Indiana. A quick backstory on the family and the house we were supposed to investigate. Emphasis on supposed to. What happens a lot in paranormal world is people have issues. They contact their local ghost hunting chapter and when we start finding evidence we are quickly cut off from the residents. And there's two reasons for that. Number one, people get scared when their experiences all of a sudden become real. Number two, the realtor selling the house tells you to get the F out. This happens way more than you think. A family who's selling a house calls in a paranormal team and the realtor finds out. Did you know in some states the realtor by law has to state if a house is haunted when selling it? So we are not their best friends. Back to the story. The residence was old, maybe 100 years. There was a family of four that lived there. A mom, a dad, a little girl, about 10, and a teenage boy, around 13 to 15. The first thing we do before we schedule an overnight investigation is a lengthy interview process. That, that was my wife's job. She's great with people, so they were comfortable answering the tough questions she, was, she asked about being on medications, etc. While the interview is going on, the rest of the team takes baseline readings of temperatures. That way, when we come back for an overnight investigation, we can compare our findings. Very smart. While the interview is going on in the kitchen, I am there leaning against the kitchen counter. I feel a tug on my belt. My shirt is not tucked in, so something had to reach under my shirt and grab my belt. I looked down and started checking to see if I got snagged on the kitchen appliance or drawer. But there is nothing to get snagged on. No drawer handles, no toaster cord, nothing. I checked and triple checked everything. The countertop was clean. No dishes, no towels, etc. Like Ricky Starks, I'm absolute on that. It literally felt like when a child tugs in your belt or pants trying to get your attention. The feeling was unmistakable. I kept it to myself and when the team was outside at the truck, I mentioned it to them. I didn't know that the other investigator, let's call her Vicky because that was her name, was upstairs with the teenage son. And he mentioned to her that sometimes, sometimes feels a tug on his pants, like a child is trying to get my attention. We never got to do an overnight investigation. As I mentioned earlier, I think it became too real for the parents when we were actually in their house asking questions. I was never touched on any other investigation and we are in some very active places. Honestly, I would have thrown these experiences out if the son had not reported the exact same experience unbeknownst to me. The son's report put, me, put it over for me and I was touched by an entity. Paranormal investigating is a wild ride, my friend. And I have a few other stories.
So if you're interested, let me know. I am totally interested. Send in all the stories you got. That goes for everybody out there. If you have a story, send them on in. I'm happy to share. Also, side note, the wife and I love you and Serpentico teaming up for Chaos Project. You're one of our favorites. Okay, enough fangirling from me, Jason. Well, thank you very much, Jason. Thank you for your story. Thanks for supporting AEW. Thanks for supporting Chaos Project. And, uh, hey, go ahead, fangirl all you want. Thanks for sending in. What's going on, guys? Alan Angels, a.k.a. Five of the Dark Order from AEW. And I'm here to read Luther's Mail. Hello, mate. Love you on AEW on TNT. I was incarcerated for about 120 days in Anne Andreal County, Maryland, at the Ordnance Road Correctional Center. There are posters hung all over the walls citing, Suicide is a permanent solution for a temporary problem. Feeling down? Seek help. It gives the number for a suicide hotline. The whole shebang. Other posters read, Inmates have committed suicide at this facility. I think nothing of it. Well, they moved me to a different tier, and that's when things got a little funky. I was given a work shift in the kitchen during lunch washing dishes. I finished my load and was waiting for more dishes. In front of me were three industrial sinks, one filled with soap and the other with a sanitizer, and the last with only water. All the faucets were off, valve, valves closed tightly, without a single droplet dripping from them. I peek around the corner for more dishes to clean. When all of a sudden, by itself, the sink furthest from me turns itself on, full power, with the faucet leaning back like a biker doing a wheelie. I banged on the window of the officer's cafeteria and told them the sink had turned on by itself. They glanced at it and asked me what I was talking about. I looked back at the sink, and it had turned itself back off. Other inmates later told me that, previous, that a previous inmate who had washed dishes was where I was had suffered a stroke at that very sink, fallen in and drowned there. At that same jail, same sentence, we were sent out of the yard for a shakedown. The COs would check their things and for contraband, right? Well, this night they didn't find anything, so we came back in to straighten to straighten out the dorm before lockdown. So we're all picking up our stuff, then clank. We got we got locked in for the night, so we can get our so we can get these shitty little AM radios on commissary that had shit reception, always static sounding. So we started chatting, and this buzzing keeps interrupting. We thought someone had their radio on. Eh eh. Nope. We searched around and found one. One of our sinks on full power. Two. One of our showers on full power with plastic tote box of TP in the active running shower bone dry for the floor surrounded it, but the floor surrounded, surrounding it was wet. And three, after us inmates freaked out, we thought we saw a CO conducting a tear check. They wore white shirts. Well, it was a white circular orb that darted past the window. Think Ghost Rider 90s TV show. There we go. Hey guys, my name's Luke Grimes. I'm one of the trainees here at the Nightmare Factory, and I'm here to read Luther's Mail. This one is from David. Growing up in my house, any time I would sit in my living room on the side nearest the hallway 
I would see out the corner of my eye a shadowy figure peering past the wall that led around to the kitchen. If I would glance in the direction, directly it would disappear. I never thought anything of this for years and just accepted it was a trick of my mind. As an adult, a girl I was dating was over and sitting on the same side of the living room as me, and we were talking and she got quieter. I dug into her sudden silence on the way to her house later. She reluctantly told me it was because she saw a shadowy figure peering past the wall heading around the kitchen. I had never shared what I'd seen for all those years with anyone prior to this event. The fact that someone else saw it proved its existence to me, even though I couldn't prove it to others. The house also always had a strange, almost malevolent feel to it in the basement on the north side of the house. The laundry room, the tool room, I despised being alone in them. One summer, when the whole family went to Massachusetts for a week, we live in Ohio, I stayed at home alone. My bedroom was in the basement at the time, and all the windows were closed. I heard someone say my name from down the hall to the laundry room. I thought nothing of it. I heard it call a second time, slightly louder. Still, thought I was imagining things. Then I heard it a third time, clear as day. I bolted up the stairs and out the house and stayed at a friend's house for the rest of the week. My grandmother died in that house before I was born. Those are just two stories of several that I have both from that house and from others. I have a story of the upstairs in my grandparents' house where my gypsy great-grandmother once lived, as well as experiences in other places that are inexplicable. I'm more than willing to share if you want more. Big fan of your work, Luther. Thanks, David. You already know who it is, it's Ortiz, that one half of the sexiest Puerto Rican tag teams on this planet, and you're watching Luther's Worlds, Cryptids, Ghosts, and the Unexplained. Oh! If you have a story and you want it to be on the show, just write it out and email it to me at luthersworldmail at gmail.com, or you can videotape yourself telling your own story, and I'll put it on a future episode. Lonnie Olson, he is back with another Bigfoot tale. And this installment of The Storytellers. This is the story of Jimmy Stewart in the Pangbosh Hand. The story starts in 1957 with Texas oil man Tom Slick financing an expedition through Nepal to hunt for and find evidence of the abominable snowman. Unfortunately, the expedition was called short due to injury. Uh, but uh, Slick wasn't left empty-handed. He ended up hearing tales and stories of the monks of Panbosh in their monastery, who were said to have in their possession a skullcap and a hand belonging to the Yeti. So Slick ended up um, organizing for adventurer and hunter Peter Byrne to continue his expedition through Nepal and to either broker a deal or steal a piece of the hand from the monks. You see, the monks, in exchange for money, would allow visitors to take a look at the skullcap at hand. You know, it's, you have to keep a monastery running somehow, right? So it was said that Peter Byrne, having a moment alone in the room, took one of the fingers and some pieces of skin and replaced it with a human bone. So after leaving, Peter smuggled the finger through Nepal and India and into Calcutta. 
And this is where Peter met up with famed silver screen star Jimmy Stewart. Think the Tom Hanks of the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Now, uh, Jimmy Stewart and his wife Gloria, it was arranged that they would smuggle the finger out and into the UK. Now, the story goes that what they did was they wrapped the finger up and hid it in Gloria's lingerie bag, thinking that there was no custom agent of the day that would search through a lady's garment bag. And this turned out to be quite accurate as the custom official searched everything else and neglected to look through the lingerie. So the stewards dutifully handed the bag off to Slick's um, associate, Osmond Hill, a primatologist. Now, Hill looked through and did some findings and they, they were a little suspect. He, he, he declared it originally as human origin, but then there was doubts that crept through Hill and some of his associates' minds for years. And because of the skin samples were completely inconclusive of any evidence. Now, flash forward many years with the technology getting better. In 2011, there was some tests done on the bone and skin fragment, which determined that yes, indeed, the finger was of human origin. Now, interestingly, <laughs> the hand itself in the 90s was completely stolen from the monastery due to the renewed interest because of segment on uh, the TV show uh, Unsolved Mysteries. It was only in the recent years that the good folks at uh, Weta um, designed and created a replica of the hand and delivered it back to the people, the monks of the Panbotion Monastery. This chapter's cryptids of the world is the Ozark Howler. The Ozark Howler is said to live in Arkansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Texas. It's described as the size of a bear with shaggy black hair, glowing red eyes, and horns. It's said that its scream sounds like a wolf's howl and a hyena laugh combined. The earliest sightings of the creature go back to the early 1800s, and it's said that in Missouri, Daniel Boone reportedly even shot at the creature. In 2015, a person claimed to have photographed the creature at the Devil's Den State Park in Arkansas. Something that the some think that the Ozark Howler to be some sort of big cat that lives in the mountains. But wildlife officials have stated there's no such big cats in these areas. There's an Irish, Scottish, and English folklore tale about a big black dog of death. It's supposedly the omen of death to those who see this creature, the big black dog of death. Could this be the Ozark Howler? The reason for this is because the history of the Ozark settlers are all descendants of Irish, Scottish, and English. Could they have brought over their folklore and it just mutated itself into this American tale we know today? Or is there a very, very real Ozark Howler type of creature out there? It's time for the Haunted Hotel. So if you're a ghost hunter, look no further than staying at 
the Emily Morgan Hotel. The Emily Morgan Hotel is in San Antonio, Texas. And if you want to stay there, it's going to run you anywhere from $96 to $227 a night. It was built in 1924. It was a medical facility until 1976. And then it became an office building. And in 1984, it became the Emily Morgan Hotel. The most haunted floors are floor 7, 9, and 14, as well as the basement. It's said that the 7th may be the most haunted. These floors at one time or another were the psychiatric ward, the surgery level, the waiting area, and the morgue. The 14th floor, they say, you can smell what is said to be the smell of a hospital. It was once the surgery level of the hospital. It's been said that guests will open their doors and see a functioning hospital only to go back into the rooms and come back out again, and it's a normal hotel hallway. The 12th floor, reports of doors opening and closing on their own, and being awoken to the, in the night at the sound of running water from the faucets pouring water into the sink. And then when you get up and go to your bathroom, there's no water, and all the faucets are shut off. Lights will go on and off on their own. And there are reports of nurses walking in the hallways and then just disappearing. The elevators in the hotel, they all seem to have a mind of their own. They skip past floors even when guests have pushed the button for the floor they want. Elevators will shut and not open for hours for no apparent reason. Desk clerks will receive calls from within the elevator, yet there'll be no one inside. And probably the scariest thing with the elevators is sometimes you'll go in and you'll push, hey, I want floor number eight, and it just takes you straight down to the basement. And the basement is actually closed off to all guests. The basement used to be, you guessed it, the morgue. And it says that the basement smells like burnt flesh. The seventh floor, the most haunted floor. It's says to be haunted by a ghost bride. Guests have reported hearing a woman screaming and crying on the seventh floor. Apparitions have been seen through all the rooms, just walking through and then disappearing into walls. And the creepers reports are rooms on the seventh floor where guests look into mirrors. And when they're sitting looking into the mirror, they will see a reflection of someone else behind them staring right back at them. So if you're in San Antonio and you need a place to stay for a night or two, look no further than the Emily Morgan Hotel. Thank you to all my guests tonight, Randy Nicholson and Alex Clark, and to my readers, Alan Angels and Luke Grimes. To Ortiz for stopping by and saying hi. And to my storyteller, Lonnie Olson. But most importantly, I'd like to thank you. Let the chaos run strong and stay creepy.